When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. After leaving teaching because of some serious burnout, she vowed to build the community she wished existed when she needed it most. She went from classroom teacher to an educational consultant, instructional designer, and six-figure business owner. Now, she's here to help you achieve happiness and work-life balance, whether inside or outside the classroom. Come join our discussion as we talk about managing teacher burnout, career transitions outside the classroom, starting a side hustle, and everything in between. Here's your host of the Teacher Career Coach Podcast and your new personal cheerleader, Daphne Gomez. Welcome to the Teacher Career Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Daphne Williams. In this episode, I interview Lisa Spinelli. Lisa is a senior content manager at the Association for Talent Development, also known as ATD. She's the editor and a contributor to the book, Teachers to Trainers, that helps those in career transitions explore training as a career option. You are probably going to be tempted to take notes because we cover a lot of ground in this interview, but don't worry. We'll have everything transcribed and available in the episode's show notes for you, so you do not have to worry about writing everything down. Sit down, relax, and listen in as we chat about why teachers make such great corporate trainers. Hey, Lisa, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Daphne. Uh, Lisa, you are here because we're going to dive into why teachers make such great corporate trainers. But first, I wanted to introduce you to my audience. Could you give us a little bit of history of who you are and your experience? Yeah, sure. Thanks. Um, So I am a senior content manager at ATD, which is the Association for Talent Development. Um, I've been involved in career development there and the content around transitioning into talent development and getting ahead once you're into that field um, for about three years. So this was a project I took on about two years ago, um, talking about teaching and moving from teaching into training and talent development. And it turned into a book. And so here we are. Do you see talent and development as mostly large corporations. Let's kind of dive into that for a second. Yeah, so talent development, well, we we started off um, being the association for trainers, right? So we used to call everything to do with talent development kind of trainers. And what we sort of realized is there's this huge broad audience that we are talking to and reaching out to and touching that are not necessarily trainers. So they might be coaches, um, they might be 
e-learning professionals. They might be a whole host of other titles and um, talent development really seemed to kind of encompass all of those people who are involved in educating people at a corporation or an adult level, kind of minus the university and academia realm. So that we do have a lot of people who are in universities, but they are also kind of on the HR training side, not necessarily the professors. So have you had any experience of being a corporate trainer yourself? You know, um, I have not actually done a ton of training in its classic sense. You know, I've done like a bunch of volunteer work, doing sort of similar things as like a English as a second language teacher and like substitute teaching and that kind of stuff. That's more on like the teacher side of things. And then for training beyond working at ATD, I haven't really, you know, stood up in front of an audience to train people on um, much of anything, really. <laughs> Why does ATD think that teachers make such great corporate trainers? Well, we were looking at our membership base and we were talking about how do people come into training and talent development. And we were thinking about the roles and trainers and instructional designers. And we were thinking, yeah, well, they're like teachers, basically. And we start to notice in our membership base that there are a lot of teachers um, who transition into becoming e-learning professionals and instructional designers and trainers. So we thought about the different things that are out there for teachers. And there's really not a ton from what we have seen um as far as resources go for people who are looking to transition and that was one of the biggest pain points that we noticed when i started talking to a bunch of the people who are in the book and and just some trainers in general that had moved from k-12 teaching and it, it seems like there's just really not a lot out there on how to make that transition and to explain a little bit more about the field of talent development. So that's why we put together the book is to really help teachers just learn more about the field before making the switch and, you know, what they have to do if they do want to make the switch. I feel like you just described me to a T. So I was um, about four years ago when I left, there weren't a lot of resources. I actually did go into instructional design as a role. And that's why I started creating resources was because after I made the transition myself, I started to notice, you know, there was nobody out there that was speaking to this audience. And there weren't a lot of ways to help me rewrite my resume and I had to do it on my own as well. And that's why I actually created the teacher career coach course was to help kind of bridge that gap. And I was so excited to see that there were other people who were starting to create resources as well, including your book. Um, just because I think one of the biggest things about it was the people who were struggling with this step also were feeling stigmatized about talking about their need for help in this capacity as well, in a way that it, you don't really see in many other career fields. Yes, I totally agree. Um, and that's something that I keep hearing, you know, did hear and, and keep hearing a lot about is that there's this, like you said, stigma and almost shame of looking and asking, you know, how do you get out of teaching? Because teachers are put on such a high pedestal. It's like, oh, you've given up your pursuit of you know, big income and flexibility and all kinds of things to become a teacher. 
you must be, you know, so high up, you're up here. And then if you're looking to leave, oh, you just dropped in people's opinions. Supposedly, you know, at least for from what I'm hearing from teachers themselves, they're getting that from administration, from other teachers who are lifelong teachers, from parents, from the community around them. So there's this kind of like secretiveness about looking and exploring what's out there. And then there's this total lack of resources because they don't, nobody wants to lose good teachers. Nobody wants to encourage teachers to leave because you always need good teachers, right? Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I found that a lot. And that is like a huge problem for, for teachers looking for resources out there to help them. There's no centralized spot where they can go. So lots of Facebook groups and your podcast is a great resource for them and your courses. And I think, you know, all of the teachers helping other teachers is a huge part of, of letting other teachers know who are looking to get out of the field what there is out there. You touched a little bit about how it's just such an easy pivot because they basically already have the foundational skills, but can you go into it a little bit more for anybody who's just excited to learn about this specific industry? What does a corporate trainer do? Yeah. Yeah, it's a great question. You know, um, so many people reach out and they're like, yeah, but I just don't understand what it is that it's like on a daily basis. And truthfully, I mean, this is not going to be the answer that anybody wants to hear, but it really does depend on so many factors. So size of the corporation that you're working at or organization, um, if you go out on your own, if you're in an ed tech company or you're not, if you take a position where you're mostly training online or you're mostly doing in person, I mean, you know, COVID aside. And uh, so it really does depend on a day-to-day or on a on a multiple levels what you're going to be doing day to day. But um, to answer your question, teachers they have a lot of the skills in developing the material and just learning science in general. Um, what sort of tips and tricks are out there to really drive in the learning, like repetition and chunking and things like that. Um, where they're going to probably fall a little bit short is some of the technologies that are out there. You know, Adobe makes some great products. Um, there's a lot of those online instructional design tools that they might like activate that they might have to go in and, and do free trials or things like that to, to experience them and really get to know them a little bit more. And then probably a little bit more around adult versus uh, child theory, methodologies, um, you know, knowing Addie and Llama and Sam and those sorts of uh, models that are out there, a little bit different than those that are found with pedagogy models. So um, that aspect, they might have to learn a little bit more, but they really do have a lot of the foundational skills, like we said about, you know, just the way and the science of learning. Um that they can be in front of a classroom and have good public speaking skills and presentation skills and coaching skills and leadership development skills. I mean, they have all of these things that they're doing in the classrooms every day to develop young minds. And it's the same thing that you're doing. You're just doing it with a hopefully bigger brain and, you know, (laughs) maybe a little less unruly of a, of a learner, but 
there's that translation factor that's in there, but teachers, obviously, uh, they know what they're doing in the classroom and they have all these great creative, innovative skills that they can translate into their adult classrooms. I actually work also as an educational consultant, and it's one of those types of roles that has a really vague title, but ultimately kind of comes down to just being a corporate trainer. So I work with a specific company, and I go in and I train on a specific product, differentiating my trainings to whatever that specific school district's needs are. And... A lot of times I noticed when I was making the transition to presenting in front of adults, I started overthinking it. I kept thinking, oh, "Oh, I'm not qualified for this or this. You just, you know, my first month or two of doing it, I kept really overthinking and feeling that imposter syndrome. But I realized, you know, I know how to chunk complex subjects into bite-sized pieces. I know how to make things fun. I know how to keep an audience engaged. I know how to naturally stop and just assess whether or not they know what I'm talking about or whether or not I need to backtrack. And those are all skills that teachers will take into this role. But I think a big part of what happens is we hear the role in general and we just have such a hard time understanding how valuable and how skilled we actually are in that specific capacity. And I love that you kind of laid out that every corporation and every company is going to be different. But to kind of dive into that a little bit more, what about those companies that do have foundational knowledge that we don't feel comfortable with? Maybe it's a healthcare professional company and it feels outside of our realm of expertise. Or maybe it's a construction company and we have no previous knowledge of construction. How do you train teachers into becoming corporate trainers in places where we don't feel like we're already subject matter experts? Well, a couple of things there. I think everybody feels imposter syndrome at some point, right? Like it doesn't matter who you are, what level you're in your career you're at, just to acknowledge the fact that like everybody has it for one reason or another. And maybe you get over it in one area and it moves to another. I mean, look, I'm not really a teacher. I'm not really a trainer. I wrote a book called Teachers to Trainers. I don't know how much more of imposter syndrome you could get. (laughs) But uh, everybody's got it for one reason or another. The second thing is that trainers move industries quite substantially. So, you know, I also run the ATD Job Bank, which is a job search site for ATD, um, for instructional designers and trainers. And one of the things we don't really do is we don't put it by industry because all of the trainers and talent development professionals that we find, unless you're kind of in government or you're in a hospital, we found that those two might be a little bit um, off on their own. But they really do like switch around between finance, manufacturing, um, you know, for-profit, ed tech, all over the place. So a lot of the times they're not subject matter experts at all. And that's where actually interviewing subject matter experts within your company or within your industry comes into play. Um, in the book too, uh, Eric Palmer, who used to be uh, a middle school teacher, bless his soul. <laughs> he actually went from that into training um, teachers and training adults on public speaking, but he talks a lot about in consulting and in general with talent development, you're either considered a specialist, which then you kind of are the subject matter expert in one area, 
or you're a generalist. And in my experience, I have found that most trainers are generalists. If you talk to them really about beyond, you know, one aspect, they're they're not going to have that in-depth knowledge that maybe somebody like a teacher going into the field thinks that they really have. They're going to know a heck of a lot about training, maybe, and educating, which teachers already do as well, but they're not going to be software experts or they're not going to be, you know, uh, pick your pick your topic at a, at a company expert. They're, they're going to be somebody who just knows how to train and train well and follow up. I just, I do think that that's such a um, preconceived notion that teachers have that kind of block them from taking this step. And I'm so happy that you addressed it. What I've always told teachers who are having that struggle and they're looking at these job descriptions and they say, well, it's at blank type of company and I don't know anything about blank is for me personally, one of the things that I struggled with with teaching was I had decision fatigue. I wanted to be an expert on seven different lessons for 180 different days. And that is a lot of content to absorb. But when you remove yourself from that situation, if you're struggling and you find a role as a corporate trainer for me as an educational consultant and doing public speaking, I was able to find roles where I basically had to become a subject matter expert on a one hour chunk of something complex that I repeated 30 or 40 different times. And it was like a second nature to me. It was so much easier and less decision fatigue. But there, I think people go into, um, I think that teachers go into this not realizing that the difference is that they're not going to have to know everything and have every answer on all of the different complexities of it they're just in charge of doing a training on one set objective that they have ample time to be able to prepare and learn about yeah no I totally agree I think like you said you know you got to know the material that you're delivering on and you have to know that pretty well but beyond that I don't think that anybody's ever come out and criticized a trainer for not knowing you know, the back end system of a software application that they're training the individuals on. So, you know, it's, oh, okay, I'll check on that and get back to you later. And then, you know, doing the follow up. But I totally agree that teachers and to be truthful, like anybody moving into this industry or moving into a whole new industry, quote unquote, um, whole new field, of careers, uh, they they feel like if they see a job description and it's in an industry that they have no prior knowledge, or if it's in uh, if it if the job description itself has things that they don't feel like they meet a hundred percent, they have that hesitation and they don't apply. And what I always am telling people is, no, just just go for it. The worst possibly thing, the worst possible thing that could happen is you don't hear back. Okay, well, if you don't apply, you're not going to hear back either. So what's your loss there? You know, there's, there's no, there's no risk in applying for a job that you think you would be great at, even if you're not 100% feeling secure that you're going to get it. And if you get it, I mean, good on you, then you can always try to learn (laughs) as you go, because that's what half of us do anyways. I think just a lot of it is just the mindset of 
you already feel so scared and so disappointed that you chose a career and it didn't work out for you. And now you have finally maybe come to the realization of, I have to leave this and I have to try something new. And any more failure just feels like it could, you know, be too much for you to take just emotionally. And that's kind of where I was at when I was making the transition. It was a very hard emotional process for me. But instead of thinking of putting something out there and not getting a response as a failure, like you have to redirect that energy of I put something out there and that means I took the first step to actually realizing that this is a new chapter and I'm starting this new process and whether or not they respond to it that is you finally acknowledging like I can start doing this and I'm gonna be brave and I'm gonna do something scary because I know it's what's right for me yeah totally and I think you know Not to say that teachers have it easy when they're applying for jobs as a teacher, but I think there's a little bit more assurance that you're, you know, the market is, it's really, it's in need of teachers, especially right now. So it's maybe easier, quote unquote, easier. I don't want to like put anybody out with that term, but it might be a little bit easier. Like you see a job, you apply for the job, you have the credentials and the experience and you get the job. Whereas applying for like a corporate position or something out in the general population civilian area, you could put out, you know, 200 job applications and only hear back from five, but maybe teachers don't know that that's also kind of normal too, especially if you're starting off, you know, it's like, well, I applied for 20 positions and I didn't hear back from any of them. And it's like, yeah, well, I can tell you anytime I've ever applied for a job, I probably applied for a good, you know, 60 or so and only heard back from a handful of them. So it's not that unheard of. Teaching is definitely less competitive. And one thing that we always reinforce why we're staying even after we've made the decision that we want to leave is everything else is too competitive and this is the only job that is stable. We put that in our heads where Mm -hmm. teaching is the only job out there that we feel like we have stability and if we you know, throw ourselves to the sharks, we're going to end up getting crushed like the weak little women that we are and we're never no. going to be able to make it. Or I I mean, that's that's very generalized and, and definitely feels overdramatic, but I do feel like lots of us go into new industries with very low career self-esteem. And so the first few sure. times that we feel rejection, it's so easy to back down from wanting to pursue anything else because it reinforces this the reason why we didn't want to do this is because we thought that we would not be successful and this reinforces that it's not possible but it absolutely is possible there are people who have done it successfully for a long time and teachers have been leaving the profession this year probably may be a mass exodus, which is unfortunate for education in general. But people have made the decision to leave teaching for the past 50 years, 100 years, however long it's been an industry, it is an industry that people have decided wasn't a great fit for them and they've pivoted into new roles. And the only thing that's different with teaching and other positions is 
it seems like a complete breakup where other positions are, maybe you're a corporate trainer and you decide you wanna be an instructional designer or you wanna move over to product marketing and it's an easier transition where people don't make a deal about it or actually have to acknowledge that you left what you said that you were gonna be because people make these transitions all the time. What can you say about the stability of working in talent development? Well, I'd say right now, especially, so the Bureau of Labor Statistics puts out, you know, the job growth rate every two years for every industry. Um, And so one of the titles that they put out there are training managers, and it's actually a job growth rate almost twice of what the regular general average is out there for all jobs. So it's at about 7% um, and the average is about four. So it is growing and especially right now, we have this huge mass amount of people, right? That are either needing to be reskilled or upskilled because jobs are changing, job environments are changing. So much change is happening that there's a huge need for trainers and especially those that can do it virtually, which as we know, teachers have all been kind of pushed to do these hybrid types of environments. They're able to pivot from in-person to online in a matter of you know a few weeks, a few days. So we know that teachers can absolutely train online and in-person and do hybrids and do all these things that they're asking trainers to do now. So I would say if there is, there's probably no better time to get into the industry than right now. When we were talking earlier about instructional design, we talked a little bit about the types of skills that teachers probably need to learn on their own. And I always say focusing on learning some sort of e-learning platform like um, Articulate or just whatever the industry standards are, are usually Articulate and Storyline. And if you Mm -hmm. have another one, you can suggest it. But I feel like those two are always standards or even just Camtasia if you want to get some small um, video editing skills. And learning those, especially using free trial periods and building your portfolio using those free trial periods is always something that I advise. But for those who are a little bit technology resistant, instructional design would not be something that I would recommend. I would recommend more of a classic corporate training position. For corporate training, what types of skill sets would you specifically recommend that they start looking into growing on their own right now? Yes. Um, Well, you know, the funny thing is that a lot of, so you have to really dive into as well when you're looking at jobs then, because a lot of things that are called corporate trainer will have some instructional design requirements to them. So just to be clear on that, there are definitely some just straight up corporate trainer facilitator roles that are out there. And for those, definitely, I would say that you're going to want to have very strong presentation skills. You're going to want to have measurement and evaluation skills. Um, It doesn't also hurt to kind of have that needs analysis portion of it down as well. So before you're even going to start doing some training, you're probably going to be tasked with finding out, is training the answer to a problem that these people, either within your company or a company that you're being hired out to deliver the training to? Is that even 
the case that they need the training? Or is it something else maybe in the work environment that they are going to need to change? Um, so having that kind of needs analysis in your tool belt is also a great, um, a great starting point. Um, so presentation skills, of course, are going to be huge. And you're going to want to have uh, at least PowerPoint skills, because no matter if you're developing the materials or not, you're going to be advancing and doing that, that presentation. So those are going to be probably the biggest things that I can think of that you're going to want to have. Um, obviously, great communication skills. And if you have any measurement, evaluation, ROI type of skills, that's going to be very helpful as well. So I think a lot of teachers listen to that and they hear a lot of the academic vocabulary that you said, and mm -hmm. they probably don't realize how it translates from their own past experience. But a lot of that is just creating assessments and evaluations and being able to put it into writing specifically, whether or not the training was impactful based on assessments that they give post-training and giving pre-training evaluations to even see if training was needed at the end in the first place. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think that, you know, knowing the Kirkpatrick levels of evaluation are going to really help. Obviously, there are going to be some things that you kind of want to touch on, like having great communication skills, like you said, to be able to write up, you know, reports and things like that. And a lot of these things are very translatable um, to terms that teachers know. Um, you know, there's going to be like a host of things on people's resumes, too, that they're going to want to translate instead of saying students, you're going to want to say learners, you know, you're going to want to say things like instruction rather than teaching, you know, things like that. Um, and there's a host of resources, I think, you know, blogs and, and things in the in the book, and I'm sure on your podcast as well, that kind of go into those translations. But yeah, teachers have a I mean, so many tools um, and skills that they just really need that translation aspect. And that's where I think people like yourself and other people who have kind of gone through the process themselves are really invaluable because you can help people kind of translate that material and you can help them you know, have a little bit more of an understanding of those first steps. Like a lot of the times when I'm talking to teachers, a lot of what I hear is that networking. And this is, you know, of course true. I think it's like 86% or something ridiculous of people getting their next role or their first roles in the organizations that they're at has been through networking. And I, I think it's so true. You know, if you're trying to get into especially a new field or you're trying to get up having a big network around you, it just will never hurt you to know and have good relationships with people, right? I mean, they say like having good relationships with people will even extend your life expectancy. So um, there's no harm in getting out there and trying to reach out and be a part of communities and getting to know teachers who have done the process. But also, um, you know, getting those mentors that are within the corporations maybe that you want to be at or in positions that you're interested in so you can get a real deep dive into that, uh, that company culture or that kind of role that they're in, um, I think is just invaluable to have. I 100% agree. You know, networking is really important and people think it's 
going into strange rooms filled with businessmen and saying, hello, my name's Daphne and I'm here to try and get a job. But it's really as simple as listing off all of your friends and your friends' husbands and trying to find them on LinkedIn to see if their husband knows someone at a company that you're looking to get an in at. It's the people who you already have in your life that you have a close connection with are more likely to refer you confidently and your skill sets and your personality to somebody that they know than someone who's a complete stranger. So those are the networks that I would leverage first. And I feel like people always assume networking means strangers and strangers is it comes next and you can network with strangers. But just starting with just the people you know and seeing what connections you have there can be really powerful. Another thing, though, is probably or another thing is probably ugh, word salad moment. <laughs> And that's, you know, I I have a lot of word salad moments and I feel like people don't realize that you can still be a public speaker and still be a human being that misspeaks from time to time because <laughs> yeah. we are we are humans. But anyhow, um on top of networking though, one thing that really needs to happen for teachers to even get their resumes open if they do need to focus on translating their resumes to showcase that they are knowledgeable in corporate training or in um, talent and development. I'd love to hear your expert advice of what you tell teachers to do when it comes to resume writing. Yeah, um, I would say, well, first of all, I always say, uh, if you have your picture on there, just get it right off. Because <laughs> it might like look cute or whatever, but unless you're in a sales job, uh, it doesn't really matter to have your picture on there. Second of all is you want to take whatever experience you have and you want to turn it into like a skills-based resume. You don't want to highlight the fact because the there are biases out there, you know, about, oh, they were a teacher. Oh, isn't that cute? You know, they know how to teach kids. Um, you know, it sucks, but it's true. There are biases out there. Now, most people are not going to be that way, but there will be some that will be. So you definitely want to start off with, you know, don't hide the fact that you were a teacher, but you want to highlight that you know what you're talking about. So the first thing you want to do is you want to translate it to a skills-based resume and show that you have the skills out that they're looking for. And of course you want to you want to change. I I don't like saying like your resume because you're going to have multiple versions of your resume and that's something that I think a lot of people in and out of teaching don't realize is that you really do and it is a pain in the tuchus, but you are going to have to change your resume for every job that you are applying for. It doesn't mean you have to drastically change it, but you're going to have to highlight some aspects, uh, diminish others, maybe take out some things entirely that you would for one company in one role versus another. While we were talking about like networking, networking is going to get your foot in the door, but you're still going to have to have a resume and you're still going to have to have your LinkedIn updated because guess what? They're going to pass your resume through five seconds. They're going to look at it you know, make sure it's one page, make sure the parts that need to be highlighted are bold and highlighted because if they don't see it in the first like 30 seconds, and that's even generous, if they don't see it in the first 30 seconds, probably more like 10, it's tossed. It's never seen from again. If you make it past that round, they're going to go and look at you online and see what they can find online about you. 
And so you better have a LinkedIn page, period. Like, it is worse now to have nothing than to have something bad online. If you have nothing, they're like, I don't even believe this person exists. <laughs> or obviously, they're not very serious about moving into the corporate space. So forget it. So you need to have a presence on LinkedIn. And if you can, you know, highlight anything online, uh, WordPress site, even a, a tiny portfolio, even if you're a train, if you're not looking to do instructional design and have like a portfolio like that online, even if you're just looking to do the training aspect of it, and I don't mean to say just, it's hard enough to do training. Um, but if you're going to be a trainer, then have a couple video clips of you presenting. They don't even have to be to an actual room of people, you know, just have the camera on you. <laughs> and just so people can see how you present yourself, um, just have a presence online and have a presence on LinkedIn. And that's going to help immensely. And with the resume, you're going to want to have you know, a two-column resume, you're going to want to have it skills-based. You don't want to put your education at the top unless you're going for academia. You want to put that at the bottom. You want to put any awards or things that you have on there as well. Um, and yeah, you're, you're going to want to have to switch it up every single time that you're applying for a job. And put your LinkedIn in the, in the top so people can find you on there right away. That's all really great advice, especially I... I know a lot of people struggle with figuring out what they're actually going to put on their resume because teaching is something that, you know, our stories are very connected with us. Our resume is something that we've been really proud of, all of our accomplishments, but sometimes you have to strip off 30 bullet points that you would have used in the past oh, yeah. and focus on only the skills that really translate into the role that you're applying for. And it has to be focused on that role. You have to show them that you're not just a jack of all trades ready to do whatever role. You're really serious and you want this role. So for training positions, you'd want to focus on all the times you trained other teachers or what's called train the trainer models, right? Yeah, definitely. Anything to do that showcases that you have worked with adults should be like one of the first things that you do. And creating the curriculum and creating the assessments and pre-assessments, post-assessments, putting all that in, but using the verbiage used in the actual job description itself and not the verbiage used at your school district and making sure that those translate in a way that you would be comfortable talking about why you know that that translates when it comes time to the interview. Because just stealing keywords from somewhere but not doing your homework and understanding it is also not ideal. So those, I think, you nailed all of the best tips. What types of things can teachers learn from your book? Well, okay, so we got other teachers that moved into training and instructional design and coaching and management and everything um, to come and give their stories. So they're actually going to hear from those people directly within each chapter on what it is that drove them to leave teaching how they did it, what things they kind of wish they had known before they had made the transition. Um, they're going to learn about transferable skills, how to translate their resume and the lexicon that goes with it. Um, and they're going to learn a little bit more about each of those types of roles. So we talk about corporate trainer, instructional designer, e-learning professional, a coach, a consultant, um, even academia. 
And he actually is a professor. He was a teacher. He was a band teacher that moved into being a professor and now teaches people how to be trainers. So he's like a train the trainer for academia. Um, so all teaching. <laughs> and then the last one is um, management too. So yeah, um, they're going to learn all about the different roles, all about the different skills, all about resumes and things that people just wish that they had known before they had left. So I want to thank you so much, Lisa, for coming and sharing all of your wisdom on this subject. And I know a lot of teachers who are excited about becoming corporate trainers have really valued hearing all the advice that you have. Where can these teachers find you and some more resources to learn from you? Sure. So I'm on LinkedIn, of course. LinkedIn, um, my username is Elisa M. Spinelli. Um, Somebody stole my name there without the M. And then they can find more about the book. The book is on Amazon. It's also at bit.ly slash ATD teachers. And that goes to the TD.org site. And there's a ton of resources on the ATD website as well. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciated having this conversation with you. Thank you. Thanks, Daphne. give a huge thank you to Lisa for coming on to speak to the teacher career coach community. We covered a lot of important ground in this episode, so make sure to check out the transcript linked in today's show notes. And while you're there, please consider leaving us a rating and review if you haven't yet. It helps us reach other educators so they can also find this podcast and support. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode of the Teacher Career Coach Podcast.